Gracious Father, as we open your word together on this special day of Pentecost, as we think and consider and learn about the coming of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be open, that we would learn and receive and grow, that we would understand and practice what it means to walk in the Spirit. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. That was said by Corey Ten Boom. I'm going to read it one more time because it is so filled with truth and yet, in many ways, so utterly frustrating. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Have you ever followed a recipe to bake a cake, maybe to cook something, and you thought you did everything right, and yet the cake doesn't raise? Have you ever, so I know a lot about basketball because I really like basketball. I follow it. I know the rules. I know a lot of the plays. I know what they're doing. And then when you give me a basketball, I get out there on the court and I'm going to do one of those things that I know how to do, but my body does not do it. In fact, it often does something opposite and I end up on the ground. Have you ever understood something? And yet it's still, you you couldn't execute it. You couldn't seem to make it make a difference. That is what I feel like the story of the Holy Spirit is in the life of so many Christians. Often even my own. So I have a seminary degree. I have studied the scriptures. I know the scriptures. I've been in ministry now for 25 years. I still at times struggle with those two things. I can tell you all kinds of things about the Holy Spirit. In fact, this morning, I'm going to tell you a number of things about the Holy Spirit. But there are still times where I am struggling with being filled, being empowered, having this kind of natural overflow of the ministry of Jesus in my life. I mean, I know this confusing, exhausting, tedious work. I just don't always know this overflowing of the ministry of Jesus because of the power of the Spirit. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. And it's going to be a little bit like a roller coaster. You will need all arms and legs tucked inside the cart at all times with the belt strapped down because we're just going to go. And I'm going to do three things. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And how is it, and this is the hard one, this is number three, how is it that we live into that empowerment 
that is the role of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do something that I've not done here before, but I have done numerous times. I'm going to ask you not to follow along in your Bible because I'm going to read a number of passages. And it will be quicker for you to listen. So everything we do, it needs to be based in the scriptures. So my intent in telling you not to follow along is not because I want to go off on some weird thing that's not scriptural. It's because I have a lot of scripture. I want to soak you in the scripture for a moment. I'm going to read a number of things, and then I'm going to refer back to them throughout the message. So I want you to listen. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul then describes a number of those, but when he comes to the end, he says this. All these, referring to these gifts of the Spirit... All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He, the Spirit, distributes them to each one just as He, the Spirit, determines. Acts chapter 5, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you receive for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Continuing down a few verses, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Last passage, Ephesians 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. All right, that's a lot of passages. It's a lot of scripture. As I walk through this message... I'll be referring to things within those scriptures and occasionally highlighting something else. All right, number one, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Let me say all of that again. The Holy Spirit is a third member of the Trinity, fully God, and a person, not a force. So here's the thing that I think at times is hard to remember or easy to forget. When you think of something like Star Wars and you think the force be with you, 
You think of this like thing that is out there. There's this force that's kind of moving around. It's doing things. The Holy Spirit is not that. The Holy Spirit has a pronoun of he. Not because he is technically a human male. Please don't think that. But because the Holy Spirit, like the Father and like the Son, is a person with personality. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, as we read in Ephesians. And we're going to come back to that toward the end of the sermon. You can grieve him. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts. How? Just as he, the Holy Spirit, determines. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have trusted him as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you and has distributed to you gifts as he has determined. The Holy Spirit is a person, fully God, eternal, not just a force. What does the Spirit do? Here's the short answer, and then we'll go into something a little bit more detailed. The Holy Spirit is the advocate who continues the ministry of Jesus, revealing Jesus, and empowering the people of God to do that same work until the fullness of the kingdom comes. All right, what does that mean? So occasionally, I will be talking with Erin after work, and I'll say, how was your day? And she'll describe something to me. Now, my wife does medical things, medical stuff. And most of the time, she is really good at recognizing I know what Band-Aids are, and that's about the extent of my medical knowledge. But now and then, she'll go off on something, and she'll just be talking, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at her, and it is like I'm on Charlie Brown. And she's going, wah, 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 wah. Because she's using words, I think they're words, that are actually English, but they don't sound like English. And she'll get to the end, and she'll look at me, and she goes, you don't understand what I just said, do you? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was gibberish. I don't want the role of the Holy Spirit to be a bunch of spiritual jargon. I don't want it to just be like some foreign language. So I want us to understand what is it that the Spirit does or is supposed to do. Um, And I want to make sure that we understand what he doesn't do. This is important. Um, There was a great article by a man named Chris Green in Christianity Today talking about the Spirit last year. It came out around Pentecost. And he says this, and this is what, and he's arguing the same thing I am. This is not the role of the Holy Spirit. Although it is surely not what anyone intended, many Pentecostals have come to think of the Spirit as a kind of ultimate life hack, a means of avoiding pain, eliminating difficulties, overcoming obstacles, and assuring success. Now, please hear what he said. Not that anyone ever intended this, but it kind of morphed into it. I don't think he's attacking Pentecostals, and I'm not either. But this idea of the spirit, and I love his language, a life hack, that as long as we have the spirit in us and we're correctly walking in the spirit, we will avoid pain, we'll eliminate difficulties, we'll overcome obstacles, and we'll assure success. Other worldly Pentecostals tend to think of the Spirit's work 
as limited to the domain of of personal spiritual experience. This way of imagining the spirit-led life gives rise to a kind of disassociative state. Believers become more and more absorbed in their own experiences and less and less concerned with the needs of their neighbors. So two things that the spirit is not. Walking in the spirit is not about us avoiding pain, overcoming all of our own personal obstacles and assuring all the success in our life. And it is not about a personal experience that I get that then removes me from all the stuff going on in the world. As long as I am feeling the spirit, then everything is good. That is not the primary role of the spirit. Now, let me just say, there is nothing wrong with having a wonderful spiritual experience of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with being overcome by the spirit and feeling the great love of God, feeling the great joy of the spirit. But that's not the end goal of the spirit's empowerment in our lives. So, a couple of things that we should be looking for. Number one, according to the Gospel of John in our reading, the Holy Spirit is an advocate for the things of Jesus. A primary role of the Holy Spirit. What was Jesus doing while he walked on the earth? Who was Jesus ministering to? Who was he caring for? Who was he loving? What was he teaching? What did he care about? What were his values? That is what the Spirit advocates for. If you want to see the work of the Spirit in action, it is when a person is looking like Jesus as they live. That is the work of the Spirit. It is when someone is acting in humility for the sake of others. It is when somebody is sacrificing themselves for the sake of others, not because they want people to look at them and go, oh, you're so wonderful, but because they love God and want to give themselves to the Lord. When you see people practicing forgiveness, when you see people practicing love of neighbor, this is the work of the Spirit. When you see people sharing the gospel and life of Jesus with other people, that is the work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is an advocate for all things Jesus. Now, in our lives, how is that happening? We have two words that we see within Scripture. Baptism of the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. I want to give you a brief theological lesson. So if you're starting to fade a little bit, just kind of slap yourself and go, all right, theology, here we go. We, as human beings, like to find definition for all kinds of stuff. We define things. We box things in because it helps us. It helps us understand them. I'll give you one. Trinity. You will not find that word in the scriptures. Trinity is not biblical theology. It's systematic theology. It is our language. We are trying to understand what it means 
to have something that we have no parallel for on earth. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, one being, one essence, three persons. That should blow your mind. Because we have all kinds of things we try to figure that out with, but none of them fully match. But that's our language trying to define the Trinity. We have all kinds of things we do. You know what the scripture doesn't do a lot? Give that kind of precise definition. So when you get to baptism and filling, there does seem to be a difference, but there's an overlap. It would be, again, like a two-point Venn diagram. Where sometimes when you read baptism of the Spirit and filling of the Spirit, they mean the same thing. But sometimes filling has something else to it. So what do they mean? Please don't raise your hand, just in your own mind. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you have, if you trust him, you have been baptized with the Spirit. You've been filled, indwelled. The Spirit lives in you, as we read in two different passages. Which, just for a moment, I want you to think about that. The third member of the Godhead, from all eternity, the Spirit, he lives in you. And every believer in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you. However, the Spirit of God, and I've heard this said numerous times and you should hear it, the Spirit of God is a gentleman. He is not going to force you to go live in his power. He's not going to force you like you're a puppet and he'll just take control and go make you do things, although I wish he would sometimes. It'd be easier. So there's this other language of filling. Paul says in Ephesians, one of the passages, actually, we didn't read that one. Um, it's in Ephesians 5, where Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know about you, but maybe you've experienced being drunk with wine. If you have, we'll just go tipsy. Maybe you've been tipsy with wine. You'll know that it can influence how you act. It might loosen your jaw just a little bit. You might say a few things you might not normally say. You might do some things you might not normally do. However, the alcohol isn't necessarily making you do things that you haven't thought about or sometimes you wish you could do. It's simply taking your inhibitions down. But it's not controlling you. When Paul says, don't be drunk by wine, but be filled by the Spirit, it is a similar kind of thing, but in a positive way. Be filled. Let the Spirit overwhelm you. Let the Spirit guide everything you're doing. The same word fill is used in other places like this. Be filled with joy. Or Paul in Timothy, he says he is being filled with sorrow because he misses his friends. We know what that means, to be filled by an emotion. That's the same idea, be filled with the spirits. That the spirit is leading, guiding, and moving you along. Be filled with the spirit. He also gives gifts. 
as you are filled, as you are moving in the Spirit, we'll talk about how in a few minutes, he also gives gifts. And Paul enumerates these gifts in a couple of different places. You'll find them in Romans 12. You'll find them in 1 Corinthians 12. You'll find them in Ephesians 4. He enumerates the gifts. Now, those are probably not an exhaustive list of things that the Spirit does. But it gives you ideas of how the Spirit gives gifts to people for you to do things you wouldn't do in your own power, in your own flesh. What is all of this about? You and I, as believers in Christ, as the church, we have an impossible task. Do you know that? We have an impossible task. Doesn't that sound great? Isn't that encouraging? I mean, don't you just love impossible things? Don't you have enough of those in your lives already? And you come to church and I give you another one? We have impossible tasks in our life. Because here is our calling, church. We sometimes, I believe, think like this. So if I have like a little bar here, and maybe I sit at this level of the bar, I'm kind of good sometimes, and I just need to be a little bit better. I've done okay right here, and I need, just need to do a little bit better. Maybe I don't lie a lot, but I want to lie even less. And we kind of think, I'm kind of good, and I just need to get a little gooder. That's what we think. My daughter just groaned over that. But here's the thing. We're not called just to be gooder. We're called to be like God. See, it's not that we're supposed to go from this little spot we are here and just go up 10 clicks. It's like we're here and the task is to be way up there because we're called to be like Jesus. We have an impossible task. So what did God do? He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the task, to baptize us, to fill us, and to give us gifts that we can step out and do the work. So this is what I feel like sometimes when I think about the Christian life and I'm trying to do it without the Spirit. So I want you to listen. Um, This is a lady named Danielle Friedman. She wrote for the New York Times, and she's describing her own experience as a runner. Many runners are driven by a desire to cross the finish line as fast as possible. I am driven by a desire to cross it before the race organizers leave for the day. I've cut it close. During the last few miles of the 2016 New York Marathon, I was given what appeared to be my own police escort as city workers disassembled the course behind me. Friends who had vowed to cheer me on abandoned their posts for dinner plans. The race was a highlight of my life, but I would be lying if I said if I, said I was thrilled to cross the finish line nearly last. Like many people who choose to run marathons, I am a striver. I want to achieve, optimize, and if I am being completely honest, impress. But in a culture that celebrates speed and power, there's little glory in being a straggler. Like many people who choose to run marathons, I am a striver. I have been striving to follow Christ and coming in last place for so long. And as I look around, most of the church is with me. But it isn't supposed to be that way. So, how do we 
walk in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to give you a biblical answer. Part of the biblical answer is going to be a complete letdown. Because by the time I get to the end, you might feel better. You might feel like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And you might go, is that it? That's my answer? Here's the biblical answer. How do I get filled with the Spirit? All right. Three things. Number one, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. I'm going to go back to the Romans 8 passage. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands on this. How many of you would like life and peace? If you didn't raise your hand, I hope it's because you already have it, not because you're, you know, just <laughs> weird. Life and peace. When you have your mind set on the spirit, when you're governed by the spirit, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But the opposite is true when our mind is set on the spirit. So what does it mean to have our mind set on the spirit? I'll give you two brief examples. I think you all know what it's like to have your mind fixed on something. Unfortunately, most of the time, what are our minds fixed on? Negative things. It's the thing that we don't want to be fixed on. It's the thing we can't overcome. It's the conversation we have to have and we're so afraid of it that we can't get our minds off of it. It's the feeling we don't want that we can't just get it out of our head. Most of the time, we know what it's like to have our mind fixed on something. It's just often not something we necessarily want our mind fixed on. Here's a different example. My three-year-old son will absolutely get his mind fixed on something. And right now, that something tends to be anything outdoors. He loves to be outdoors. He wants to be on playgrounds and trampolines. And he doesn't care if there's anything. He likes to just run through the grass. And he will be out there as long as you will let him out there. And then when you say, hey, Kelton. It's time to go inside. Ah! And he's finally gotten to the point, he's my first child, where he will run. Now, he's three, so his legs are like this long, and you can walk and catch him. But like he will take off. Do anything to stay out there. I have learned something that works about 50% of the time. There's something else that Kelton loves. He has recently discovered an absolute love of granola bars. And so what I can do is go, Kelton... Would you like a bar? And he will stop. Bar? Bar. I want bar. And he will turn and head inside. And he will go inside and he will head up the stairs and ask when he's out of sight, I will lock the door. Because if he sees me lock it, it will get his mind back on being outside. I will lock the door. He will go upstairs. We will get the bar. We'll open it and he'll eat his bar. And half the time, he will forget that I'm going back outside. Because his mind was on something else. This is the thing the scripture always presents. And please hear this. The idea that you can just 
clear your mind of all thoughts. It does not work very well. Especially when you're trying to fight those things you don't want to do. What the scripture says is it's one or the other. Intentionally set your mind on the things of the spirit. If you want to know what those things are, go look up Galatians 5 and see the fruit of the spirit. Go look up Philippians chapter 4, where Paul specifically says, set your mind on these things. But it's intentional. Set our minds on those things. When we do that, that is part of the way that the Spirit fills us. It's part of the ways we are filling our minds with the things of the Spirit to be led by Him. Number two, do not grieve the Spirit. This is what Ephesians 4 says again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Can I just tell you, if you are grieving the Spirit, He's not filling you. If you're grieving the Spirit, you're not walking in His power. You're doing the opposite. Do you know what it's like to make somebody grieve? Don't grieve the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What grieves the Spirit? When we are filled with bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. Those things grieve the Spirit. When we let those things fill us and overwhelm us and, and we just walk in them, we act in them, those things grieve the Spirit, quench the Spirit, as some translations say. On the other hand, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember my whole thing? This is not about being gooder. This is about being like God. Forgive as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. How has God in Christ forgiven you? That is the way we're supposed to forgive. But you know what happens when we exercise kindness and compassion toward one another? When we are forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us? We are not grieving the Spirit. We are walking in the Spirit. We are opening ourselves to being filled by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. But sometimes it's going to take, right now, I am angry. I'm going to let that anger out. I don't want to shove it down. But I'm also going to do this. I'm going to act in kindness toward this person. I'm going to act with compassion toward this person. And I'm going to step out in faith, trusting God's going to empower me as I'm doing this. And honestly, it's a big part of how faith works. Hey, sometimes God does this. Sometimes God fills us, and in the power of the Spirit, we get to step out. But quite often, it is this. I am stepping out, believing and trusting that God is going to do something. And as I'm stepping out in faith, the Spirit fills and moves. But it's not often going to be. I mean, if you're waiting, you're just waiting until God goes, okay, now I feel all of the compassion and the forgiveness and the, the kindness, and I feel all of that, and I can act in it. It just doesn't happen very often. There's some work where you are working and walking in the Spirit and stepping out trusting, 
even when it's not always there. Do not beg the Spirit. And lastly, and where we come to an end is this. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, we get this simple and very beautiful picture of the early church. The Holy Spirit has come, Peter has preached the message, and people have come to Christ. And here's our first little glimpse of what the early church looked like. Just listen to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled, it's the same word, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And look at the results. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't have time to walk through this whole passage without keeping you here until lunchtime. But I encourage you, go back and read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and look at the picture. Devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to prayer, to the breaking of the bread, to one another, to the community. All of these things are the ways in which the Spirit moves Because they're living into the life of the church. They're living into the vision that has been given to them. All right. I'm done. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, of the Trinity. Fully God, fully person. The Holy Spirit comes to advocate for all things Jesus. And one of the ways he does that is by baptizing and filling those who trust in Christ and then distributing gifts to them to go live this impossible, godly life. And the way the people of God live into that, at least three ways. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit, which is going to take intentionality. They don't grieve the Spirit. Instead, they, they, the things they have their minds set on as they're learning the Spirit, they step into those things in faith. And then they see the way the church is supposed to live, and they organize their lives to live that way, that the Lord might add daily to their numbers those who are being saved. That is what Pentecost is all about. The empowerment of the people of God to live the life of Jesus to show the love of God to the world that more people might come to know him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you did not leave us without a means to live a life that without the Spirit is impossible. Lord, for every person here, myself included, where we have felt like we just we're hitting our head up against a wall. We're getting nowhere. We don't have that kind of victorious Christian life that overcomes the bitterness and the anger and all those things that Paul talks about that quenches the spirit. 
Lord, help us to truly live into the power of the Spirit, to be the kind of people that would show the love of Jesus to all those around us, to our friends and our neighbors, to our family, to our coworkers, to people we don't know. Lord, help us know the power of the Spirit. Help those in Trinity Church to know something different when it comes to following Jesus. Because we want to love you, Lord. Because we know how much Jesus has given. And we want that life of joy and peace and hope. So fill us with your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.